Christmas Eve service that I have preached. This is the 15th since I've been here, and I'll tell you why that is. Uh, I had been voted in as pastor in late December, right before Christmas, uh, and we thought of having this service, and so we decided to go ahead and do it. Uh, But Brother Brooks Nethercutt and his family were up visiting, and his son-in-law, Paul, uh, who pastors the Free Will Baptist Church down in uh, outside of Memphis, was with us. And so I asked him to preach that night. Uh, to be honest with you, I was a little bit nervous. I had never pastored before. And so I figured if somebody's going to get shot, let it be the other guy, right? Uh, might get mad at me for asking to preach, but if he bombed out, then uh, at least you'd be mad at someone else other than me. So this is the 14th year that I've stood in this pulpit And I remember the first one, I thought I covered all of the basis of the the story of the birth of Christ. And so I'm like, so what do I do next year? Well, as I study, I found more and more there is this, this, the birth of Christ, just the occasion of the birth itself, even if you didn't cover the life of Christ, just the birth of Christ. There are so many significant things about the birth of Christ, uh, where he was born, how why, who was told. I mean, there's so much uh, about the story of Christ that now I find myself, as I've uh, been doing this for a while, I find myself having a hard time centering in on the one thing. You know, what, what one thing do we want to cover this year because there's so much. This year, I want to look at the Song of Mary. The Song of Mary is very significant and has been very significant in history because it's a song of hope. There have been times in other countries where they were banned from singing the song of the Magnificat. Now, Brother Brian asked me if I misspelled something. He's like, is this supposed to be the Magnificent? Magnificent is Latin. It's where we get the word magnify in English. And so a lot of times in your Bibles, you'll see a heading over this passage found in Luke. And I'm getting ready to read it. It's Luke chapter 1. Verses 46 through 55. In your Bible, you will likely see something that says Mary's song. And it may have a space in the Magnificat, or it may just be labeled the Magnificat. But over the years, it adopted that name just simply because of the Latin word that was used um, in the Middle Ages when they used the Latin Vulgate uh, as their translation. And this is a marvelous song, but there were times in history in other countries where they were banned from singing this song simply because it was a song of hope. And when you're trying to oppress a group of people, the last thing you want to give them is a ray of hope. And I thought, what more fitting scripture to use tonight in a year that has been so tough than the song of hope that was sang by the Virgin Mary, who carried our Lord and Savior. And so tonight I want to look at this passage and I want to read it and then I want to pray and then we'll expound upon this scripture. Christmas Eve services are usually a little shorter than the others, so I will have you out here by midnight, okay? So don't worry about that. Uh, I'll make sure you spend Christmas at home, barely, okay? So don't worry about that. So Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 46. And if you would, would you just please stand on your feet with me tonight? I love standing to our feet while we read the scripture. It's just a a way to honor God. And then after we read the passage, we'll pray. uh, And then you can be seated, all right? So Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 46, it says this. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. 
And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we just ask you tonight, Lord, to, Lord, just to help us for a moment to see, Lord, this hope in Mary's song. Lord, for those here tonight who are hurting, Lord, we know that our hope is in you. And Father, I ask, Lord, that you, Lord, that you just stay near to those who are brokenhearted, as we know your scripture says that you do. We ask you, Lord, for comfort. Lord, for those here tonight who may be in need, Father, we pray, Lord, for those needs to be met. And Lord, we pray that we will be uplifted in your word because it's a reminder tonight of your great love for us. And we pray that we honor you tonight and the love that you've shown by sending your son to us. And we pray all this tonight, Lord, in the name of your beautiful and precious son, Jesus. Amen. Y'all can be seated. If you look at this passage, Luke chapter 2 is a lot of times where people start the Christmas story. Can't tell you how many times I've, I've heard a reading of the Christmas story out of the scriptures. And it always starts at Luke chapter 2. And there was a decree from Caesar Augustus that all should be taxed. That's how it starts in Luke chapter 2. But yet we see in Luke chapter 1 the precious story of the coming of the, what we call the forerunner of Christ, who was John the Baptist. We see God's interaction with Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, who were both up in age, and telling them that they were also going to have a son. And his name would be John. Then we see that Mary received word from Gabriel. And then we see that Mary then goes to visit her cousin. Some people will say aunt, some people will say cousin. In that time period, it was very common uh, to sometimes refer uh, to family slightly different than we do here in our age today. So some theologians will say cousin, some will say uh, and a lot of the modern translations will say a relative. And so Mary goes to, to visit Elizabeth. And at the sound of Mary's voice, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy. How special is that? This baby inside of Elizabeth leaps for joy because he hears the sound of the one that God has chosen to call blessed, who would carry the baby Jesus. And so after Mary's interaction with Elizabeth, she stayed there for a couple months, 
But after that initial interaction with Elizabeth, we now see this passage here that is called Mary's song. Elizabeth said something very unique to Mary. She says, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. If you've ever been in any Catholic services, you will know that, that when they do Hail Marys, that, that is part of that, and that's where it comes from. And to know that God had blessed this young girl. When we think of, of a young mother, I want you to think about the culture in which they live in. This girl is probably 13 years old, 14 years old. And the wisdom... And her understanding of what God has already done for his people and what he shall do. And the prophecies also that are found in Isaiah that she, she must have known very well simply by this song that she sings about the blessing that God has given her. There's a, a fellow pastor down in Franklin, Tennessee. Um, when we call people friends these days, it gets a little weird, right? Because we have social media and we have hundreds of friends. Um, and so when I, when I call him a friend, he's an acquaintance. I don't have his phone number programmed in my phone, uh, but very, well of his, very aware of his ministry. I, I track and follow him. I have interacted some with him uh, online. And uh, he is just a marvelous guy doing marvelous things down there. Uh, and he says this about this passage. And his name is Dr. Kevin Riggs. And he says, when you consider the fact that Mary was a young teenager, possibly only 13 or 14, her words are incredible. And they place her on the same level as the Old Testament prophets. Yet, for some reason, many of us who grew up in conservative churches know very little about Mary and her beautiful song. As a result, we have missed the radical and relevant message of Christmas. Mary's song, The Magnificent, sets the stage for the entire ministry and mission of Jesus. You don't understand who Jesus is and what he came to do without understanding Mary's song. Mary's song gives us the insight for Jesus' purpose for coming to earth. And in this song, he shows great wisdom and understanding. She shows great wisdom and understanding of the prophecies concerning the Messiah that she is carrying. And this song can be broken down into two sections. One section, mercy. Personal salvation, which comes down to the mercy that God shows us. And the second portion, justice. True justice as God delivers it. And in a time that we, that we live in, I can't think of any other time where we needed more a personal message of hope to know that we matter to God and that He shows mercy even to you and I. That He's not a God of kings only. But instead, God levels the playing field. And in doing so, we find that in Christ and in Christ alone, can we, and only in Him can we find true justice. We hear the word justice over and over being used in the day that we live in. And we, and we, we put a word in front of it, social justice. But I ask you today, is there any other kind? Because what is justice? Because listen, folks, when we sin, we either sin against God or each other or both. There are sins that we could commit that we sin against God alone. But any time that I treat a fellow human 
no matter what ethnicity, no matter what color, no matter what lifestyle, when I mistreat another human, I am sinning against God and against my fellow man. And that requires justice. And only in Christ is true justice delivered. And Mary's song sings of the beautiful justice that only God can give. Because in a world today when we look and we find that the divide between poverty and richness is getting wider and wider and the folks that used to be in the middle are almost gone. We live in a time where it seems that we're either headed to be totally impoverished or totally rich. And in that time, as we are now, we truly seek justice. And we see here that it is only God who can deliver that. And he delivers it absolutely perfectly. I want us to look at the first section, verses 46 through 50. This is a song of mercy in this stanza. Think about it as two verses, if you will. One section is a verse and another section is a verse. And in this verse, we see mercy. Because it says, Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in my God, my Savior. So in verse 46, we see that her soul magnifies God. In other words, it's all about God and not about her. You have to remember that Mary is singing this beautiful song, but things are not rosy for her. You see, there's a scandal. And maybe in our time, things are different and we look at things maybe different or what's socially acceptable now was not socially acceptable then. Remember, just being uh, engaged, just being engaged, she would have to, or Joseph would have to get a divorce from Mary to separate from her. Even though they haven't fully gotten married yet, just the fact that they're engaged required a divorcement. And remember, Joseph sought to quietly divorce her, but an angel of the Lord came and told him to trust God that the baby that Mary was carrying was God's. And Joseph did just that. This past week, we heard a wonderful message from Brother Kevin about the obedience of Joseph. And Joseph is such a huge part of the story, yet we don't record a single word ever spoken by Joseph. But yet we see his obedience. But Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And to think about her magnifying the Lord when God put her in such a position that everyone was talking about her. You know what it's like to be talked about? I don't just going to be honest with you. Somebody told me this past week about something somebody else said about me, and I'd have been better off if they didn't tell me. I don't know about you, but they say ignorance is bliss. I'm blissful. I love ignorance. It's great. Not knowing what people are saying about you. Listen, you can say all manner of stuff against me. That's great. I just don't want to know about it. Because if I don't know about it, then I don't have to worry. But yet Mary couldn't go anywhere in her village without people whispering. Without people pointing. But as if that wasn't bad enough, 
Mary and Joseph were dirt poor. Dirt poor. We look at today and we think that someone has it really bad if they can't, you know, if they can't have a, a newer vehicle or, or, you know, if they can't have... Listen, when we look at how we live in America, then we compare it to the rest of the world. Do you realize that we are rich? If you make more than $30,000 a year, you are in the top 10% of the world. Think about that. That's all it takes to be in the top 10% of the world. You see, we don't really, I don't think we really understand sometimes what, what living in poverty really entails in this country that we live in. Because if I were to ask you tonight if you have clean drinking water, I'm sure all of you would raise your hand. If I asked you if you had a dry place to sleep tonight out of the rain, most of you would raise your hand. If I asked you if you had access to healthy food year-round, I didn't ask you if you ate it or not. Sometimes we say grace. I like what Tim Hawkins says. We say grace expecting a miracle. Because we'll ask God to bless Cheetos. Lord, bless this food to the nourishment of our body. Wow. We eat junk food and, and we have cookies. And how many cook cookies for Christmas? There's a cookie tax to get out of this place. And you got to pay the cookie tax to the pastor. I ain't letting you out of here. Because, listen, pastor, you ever seen Cookie Monster on Sesame Street? That was fashioned after me. I love me some cookies. And we have all these great things. We have junk food galore. We have access to food. And there are some people that don't have access to anything. And the food that they do eat will be something that we would scrape off our plate and throw away because we wouldn't dare do that. Water, we wouldn't dare drink. I've heard stories about people going through great pains to try to get to this country and having to drink water that is stagnant and try to filter it through their T-shirts just to, to try to get enough water to, to quench their thirst so they can make the journey. Mary and Joseph were so poor. How do we know they were poor? We know they were poor because when they went to go give the sacrifice that was required for a, for a newborn child, they gave the poor man sacrifice. You see, they couldn't afford the lamb. Instead, two turtle doves. That shows us how poor they were. So for Mary to magnify God, says something about the beauty in her. And she says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You see, Mary realized she needed a Savior. Mary realized that even though she had been chosen to do something great, it didn't undo the fact that she was imperfect. Now, there may be people that might argue, but we, we understand and we know with 100% assurity today that Christ is the only perfect one that walked the earth. Mary needed a Savior. And she says here, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked down on the humble estate of his servant. You see, she realized the magnitude of this gift that God had given. But this word humble that, that, that she uses here, if we really go back to the original, it was better translated as lowly. 
and refers to Mary's low status in society. It says more about her status in society than it does her spiritual countenance. She was born into poverty in a tiny village in the middle of nowhere with no power and subject to oppression and exploitation by others. But yet she has been chosen by God to be the mother of our Lord. God chose her. If you're here tonight hearing the beautiful message of Jesus Christ, I want you to know God has chosen you too. This is a sign of his mercy, that God of the universe who created all this would still look down and know my name and say, Huff, even though you're not perfect, Huff, even though you are so far off base so many times, still yet I love you and I have chosen you to be a part of my family. And if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, he chose you too. She says, For it is He who is mighty and done great things for me, and holy is His name. And then verse 50, it says, And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. This past week, Brother Kevin talked about peace, right? Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. But people stop there, right? Brother Kevin read the whole scripture. In whom God is pleased. And here we see mercy for those who fear him. And when it's talking about fear him, it's not a fear of we tremble out of we're scared that he is going to crush us. But instead, we tremble and we quake at the sound of his voice because of his awesomeness. And because of his greatness and who he is. That at his appearing, all we could do is fall flat on our face before God like so many in the scriptures have. In Revelation, we see John, just at the appearance of an angel, falls on his face. The greatness of God. It's about a respect and it's about a reverence and being in awe of who God is. Mercy is for those who reverence Him. From generation to generation. So Mary's first verse is this song of mercy of an almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God who is able to do more than we could ever think or ask, and still yet he would look down on this lowly, impoverished young girl and choose her for this heavenly task. And yet you and I sit today in God's house, also chosen to do a heavenly task to spread the gospel to those who are hurting. 
You see, I see someone broke down along the road. I can go, let's say that they have a flat tire. I can go there and I can help them and I can take that wheel off and change that tire. And maybe I can help them for a few moments. And maybe then in talking to them, I find out that they have some other need. And maybe I can meet that other need and I can try to do good things for them. And they'll look and they'll call me good. And they'll say that Huff is a good guy. But listen, unless I share the gospel of Jesus Christ, which will give them the ultimate eternity that they truly seek because listen, every heart is seeking to be at one with the Creator because when we're not, then there is something is missing. I can do all the good in the world, but yet if I do not offer the gospel of Jesus Christ, I have let them down because that's the heavenly work that God has chosen for His sons and daughters. Mercy that God would be so personal with me and with you. What a beautiful song of mercy. But then we get to the second verse and we see the beauty of his justice. You see, in passage uh, 51 through 55, it says, He has shown his strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. I want you to think about that for a minute. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. I don't know about you, but I've lived proudly. Have you ever been proud? I mean, there's times I'm proud of my children, proud of my wife. I'm, I, we all have this in pride in itself uh, when, it's, when, it's, when it's pointed in the right direction. can be a good thing, but a proud heart can really lead to our ruin. There's been times that I've been proud, just proud of Huff and what I've been able to accomplish in my life. And I remember a time when I was, I was doing good in business and things were going great for me and I was able to do these wonderful things, so I thought for my family because I thought money and buying things for them is what they really wanted, only to find out later that they wanted my time. They wanted my attention. You see, that stuff is long gone. The motorcycles that I would buy and all the things that I would get for them, that stuff is long gone, and life is much different now. But it was my investment of time that they truly wanted. But you see, my, my proudness and the thoughts of my heart of elevating Huff to a new level took me in places that were dangerous for me and my family. Landed me in places and landed me in, 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 in a financial situation that I, then I wondered how I got there. You ever done that? You ever, you ever just work so hard that all of a sudden you're sitting one day and you realize that you really don't have a whole lot to show for it? And you're like, where did it all go and, and how did I get to here? Well, Huff, what does that have to do with justice? Because we see a lot of people doing that right now and we see a lot of people in our lives that we interact with that are, that are proud of themselves. And they always seem to get the upper hand. It's justice because they don't. It's justice because God scatters them. In other words, one day they're going to wake up and do the same exact thing that happened to me. How did I get to here? Where did all my time go? And how did my boys grow up and I not know it? And now as an older dad scrambling to do everything you can for your kids to reconnect. Why? Because I was scattered. I was trying so much to elevate Huff and to show that, that I could be somebody. That I could do something. 
when I tell you right now, there is no better title that I've ever held other than the two that I now covet the most. And that's husband and dad. I was scattered. You see, there's other people that look like they're getting ahead, realize that justice will come. And one day they'll have that a moment as well. The Bible says that if you sow to the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. God will not be mocked. Verse 52 says, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And I've, I've thought about that. The mighty from their thrones and exalts the humble. Here God has chosen this lowly teenage girl to do this heavenly work of bringing the perfect Savior, the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah to come. He didn't choose someone of royal blood. He didn't choose someone out of the house of Herod. He chose this little old girl in a little town called Nazareth. And they were so lowly that when they got to the end, Imagine this, if they had got to the end and had royal blood, they'd have cleared out room. Don't you get that? Have you ever went to dinner with somebody who was like, had money and pull? You ever done that? I've been in business, you know, a couple times in situations in business where I got to, you know, I, I, I got to go have dinner with all these, you know, these, you know, people that are just make a lot more money and do a lot more stuff. And you, by the way, it's the most boring dinner you have. They have all this crazy, I don't know what fork to use half the time. Right? And it's just, it's awful. You know, uh, give me a chicken leg and put me in front of a recliner and I'm fine. I don't need all that fancy schmancy stuff. By the way, they don't give you enough. How come the more you pay for food, the less you get? I don't know about you, but I go and I want to order three meals. because I want to at least go out of here feeling like I at least got dinner. But I go to these high food restaurants and you go there and it's all busy. But when the right person you're with goes in... And they recognize that person. Hang on a second. We'll get you all seated in just a second. And they treat you like you're something. But then again, you go to New York City looking like those Duck Dynasty fellas. They'll kick you out. It's the world we live in. You see, if they'd have went there in royal blood and went to that inn and Mary being with child about to deliver, they'd have created room somewhere, or they'd have kicked somebody out. But when they got there, they're just two, other, two more poor people with tattered clothes from nowhere, a nobody from nowhere. And y'all can go stay out in the barn. Also think about the fact that, you know, the king of that day, when heaven announced the birth of Jesus Christ, they announced it to shepherds out in the field. You see, shepherds were also looked down upon. They were lowly people. They were just shepherds. And they weren't even allowed to testify in court. They were that low. And yet when the king, when Herod finally found out about this Jesus being born, when all those of royalty heard about Jesus' birth, guess what? That news came from a shepherd. You see, God has a way of bringing those down who think they're high and mighty. And God has a way of elevating those who are of humble estate. Why? Because He can. Because He is just.
And because when we look at the cross of Jesus Christ, the ground is level at Calvary. To know today that I may have been born to somebody nobody has ever heard of. Just another Hoffmaster in a sea of other people. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, the Bible says that I have been grafted into the family of God. And therefore, I have royal blood running through my veins. And though I may live in what may look like in poverty in this time that I am here on this earth, I want you to realize that true justice lasts for an eternity. True justice is not about one moment but it's eternal. And God is just. And He will deliver His justice. And even I, who's born of a humble estate, I will be exalted, not because I deserve it, but because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. He came to bring justice. For those who think they will be first, the Bible says we'll be and those who think they will be last will be first. Because God's justice is perfect. He brings down the exalted and lifts up the humble. And verse 53 says, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. That means through Jesus Christ, you and I, can, we can be full no matter what. But yet there are those who have absolutely everything, but they still need more. I thought about, and this is going to be terrible. Uh, should, I'm not judgmental, but it sounds judgmental, and so I'm just going to be judgmental for a minute. I remember when the story broke about Martha Stewart. You remember her? Now she's got street cred. Been hanging out with Snoop Dogg and... All those now that she's been to prison now, right? She's, you know, yo, yo. But I remember when that story first broke. Somebody who had so much already didn't need insider trading. You understand that, right? Already rich, already had more than you and I could ever even dream of having. And it wasn't enough. Had to take insider tips and do insider trading to try to get ahead of those who were trying to do it the right way. Trying to take that inside information. By the way, she was the one that got caught. Many others do it. We call it rich crimes or white-collar crimes. But every day there's the poor person who's trying their best to work hard and do all that they can, and there's people who are already in power, but still yet cannot fill their stomachs and being rich in millionaires is not enough for them. That they have to take information that is sensitive, that sh they should not have, and then use it in a way to try to get over on you and I and take the money that we work so hard for. But don't you get it? They can't get full. But yet I could sit here, and I don't know about you, you ever look at your bank account and do the math and figure out how many days you got left before that paycheck hits? 
Be like, carry the one, minus two. Sal, don't go to the store. You know, <laughs> like I'm going to be drinking water instead of them Red Bulls this week. Y'all know what I'm saying? I'm going to be drinking Maxwell House, not Starbucks. But yet somehow Sal and I could look at each other and not even have a home anymore that's really ours. It really don't matter. Because we're full. I'm full to the brim. And I don't need anything. Because God has given me a peace that passes all understanding and joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. Do you see the justice in that? That those who try so hard to get another dollar are out here going crazy. And yet, us who could be so poor could be happy because the warmth of a hug, having your family close, knowing who you can trust, and knowing what it means to have real friends, and most of all, knowing that the God Almighty Himself knows me by name. What else do I need? What else do you need? Absolutely nothing. You see, that's God's justice. You see, in God's kingdom, I'm rich and they're poor. I'd rather be rich God's way because it's eternal. The other way, the riches will fade, the moss will eat them, and the rust will take it out. And in verse 54 it says, And he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And verse 55 says, And he, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. God's justice will reign forever. God remembers his covenant with his people and he is faithful. He will not let you down. Jesus summarized his own ministry when he went to the temple in Luke chapter 4 and he read from the scroll of Isaiah. He said this, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, as was his custom. And he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And this is what he said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the oppressed. To proclaim the year. I'm sorry liberty to the, the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I like what it says next. It says, and then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth.
And they said, is this not Joseph's son? In other words, how is he? How, how is that Joseph's son? There's something special about him. How can something out of that poor little house of Joseph and Mary be so significant? But when you and I speak words of hope, people will also marvel if that hope is Jesus Christ. So let me sum it up by reading someone a lot smarter than myself. I go back to my friend out of Franklin, Tennessee, and this is what he wrote. The Magnificent can be divided into two parts, each summarized by one word. The first part is summarized by mercy. You would say that this is the personal, individual message of Christmas. Jesus has come to reconcile people to God. He has come to show you grace and forgive your sins. One aspect of the Christmas message is that by God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, you are redeemed. Not because you deserve it, but because of God's love, mercy, and grace. And then he wrote this, hallelujah and amen. But that's not the entire message of Jesus. That in and of itself is not what makes the message of Christmas radical and relevant. Mercy is only half of the equation. The second part of the Magnificent is summarized by the word justice. The public and social message of Jesus. Personal conversion and social justice. Private faith and public demonstration. Mercy and justice. That is the radical and relevant message of Christmas. The same God who embraced a poor girl from Nazareth embraces the poor all over the world. God's justice flows from His mercy and reverses life's unjust circumstances. This is what Dallas Willard calls the divine conspiracy, the radical reversal of all things. It's the last shall be first and the first shall be last theology of God. Mary's song is beautiful, captivating, and insightful, but best of all, it's true. God does love you. You're not small in His eyes. And those who think they're rich are poor. And those who may be physically poor can be wonderfully rich. God's justice. God's mercy. Do you have it? Is it in your heart? Would you stand with me?